Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. You'll also hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's January 8th. Carl M. Bear was legally recognized as male on this day in 1907. Bear was born to a German-Jewish family in 1885. And after his delivery, the midwife said to his mother something along the lines of, congratulations on the birth of your lovely daughter. But the midwife had a different conversation with Carl's father, saying that this newborn baby's body was ambiguous and that it wasn't clear whether she should call the baby male or female. Today, we might have described him as intersex, So the family went to see a doctor and ultimately decided that when they registered Carl's birth, they would register him as a girl and give him a girl's name. But as Carl grew up, he had a very clear sense of his own self. He later described himself as a boy who was being raised as a girl. In his own writing, he said, quote, one may raise a healthy boy in a womanish manner as one wishes and a female creature as mannish. Never will this cause their senses to remain forever reversed. And his growing up was not easy at all. He was expected to play with girls, but he didn't feel like a girl. And the girls also seemed to suspect somehow that he wasn't one of them. Not only did he not like most of the pastimes that were considered to be appropriate for girls, but the girls in his community excluded him from playing with them. His behavior and his interests, and as he grew into a teenager, his appearance and voice were more in line with what was expected of boys than what was expected of girls. In 1904, at the age of 19, he moved to Hamburg. He studied sociology, he started working as a social worker, and was also part of feminist organizations, including campaigning against the trafficking of women. He was also active in the Jewish service organization B'nai B'rith. That same year, he started introducing himself to people as a man, and he changed his dress and no longer tried to hide his more masculine physical features. And then in the midst of all this, he was injured in a tram accident. When he was taken to the hospital, doctors immediately noticed that his ID did not match the name or the gender that he gave to them when he was admitted. They ultimately contacted Magnus Hirschfeld of the Institute for Sexual Science, which was a research institute, a medical facility, and an advocacy organization for what we would describe today as LGBT rights. Hirschfeld described Bayer as a case of, quote, erroneous sexual attribution. He and other doctors at the Institute felt that Bayer would benefit from having surgery. It's what we would today describe as gender affirmation surgery. After receiving hormone treatments, Bayer had a series of surgeries starting in 1906, and this made him one of the first people to have surgery for this reason. On January 8th of 1907, he was legally recognized as male and was issued a new birth certificate. That same year, he published a semi-fictional autobiography called Memoirs of a Man's Maiden Years, and he published that under the pseudonym N.O. Body. 
But it was widely known that he was the author of this work. On October 10th of that year, he got married, although his wife died of pneumonia about a year and a half later, and he got remarried later on. Baer continued to work as a social activist in Berlin until 1937, including becoming the director of the Berlin Lodges of B'nai B'rith. But then in 1937, he was captured by Nazis and tortured. After settling his affairs as quickly as he could, he fled Germany and moved to what would later become Israel. He lived a quiet life there as an insurance agent, and he died in 1956. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can tune in tomorrow for a modern version of something that had existed really for a lot of history. Hello again, it's Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast that truly believes no day is boring. The day was January 8, 1811. One of the largest slave revolts in U.S. history, known as the German Coast Uprising, began in the territory of Orleans, or present-day Louisiana. The German coast was a region in Louisiana named after the large number of German immigrants who moved there beginning in the 18th century. The land acquired in the Louisiana Purchase in 1803 included the territory of Orleans, which itself included much of the present-day state of Louisiana. I should note here that the Louisiana Purchase was not simply a purchase of land. The U.S. actually paid France for the imperial rights to land that was largely still owned and occupied by Native Americans. Anyway, sugarcane production was a major industry on the German coast. There was a large number of enslaved Africans and African Americans. And there were also many free people of color in Louisiana. At the time of the Louisiana Purchase, around one in six people in New Orleans was a free person of color and free people of color in Louisiana were afforded a relatively high level of acceptance and prosperity compared to the conditions free Black people lived under in other places in the U.S. At the same time, the Haitian Revolution, which ended in 1804 with Haitian independence from France, resulted in an influx of Haitian migrants. Fears of slave rebellion were already high among Louisiana's white population, But the arrival of more free people of color and the spread of revolutionary ideas via the French and Haitian revolutions heightened tension. And Maroons, or people who escaped slavery, still lived in communities around New Orleans and other places in Louisiana. As it turns out, some people were inspired enough by the Haitian Revolution to take action. An enslaved man named Charles Delon was a slave driver on a plantation owned by Manuel Andre near New Orleans in St. John the Baptist Parish. Around harvest time, when enslaved people were given more free time, he organized other people enslaved on the plantation and Maroons to plan an uprising. On January 8, 1811, the rebels wounded Andre and killed his son, Gilbert gathering muskets and ammunition at the plantation and putting on militia uniforms, the group marched downriver on River Road toward New Orleans. Along the way, they gathered people from other plantations. 
They planned to destroy sugarcane plantations, to free enslaved people in Louisiana, and to establish a black state along the Mississippi River. The uprising was growing quickly, with somewhere between 200 and 500 people joining the cause, though the exact number is unclear. Many plantation owners fled the conflict, escaping to New Orleans. Others rounded up their own militia. The governor of the territory of Orleans, William C.C. Claiborne, sent troops and militia to suppress the uprising, though the rebels fought against the local militias with clubs, knives, guns, and other weapons, and some were on horseback, the uprising was brutally quelled by January 10th. Many of the leaders of the uprising, including Delon, were captured and killed. Trials were soon held for people who had been captured, resulting in the execution of more enslaved people. The heads of some of the executed people were displayed on pikes. Other gruesome public displays of bodies were put up as an attempt to deter others from attempting an uprising. Nearly 100 enslaved people died in the uprising and subsequent executions. After the rebellion, free people of color in Louisiana faced more restrictions, like being required to observe curfews and have their racial status designated in public records. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any burning questions or comments, you can leave us a note at TDIHC Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Or you can go the old-fashioned route and send us an email at thisday@iheartmedia.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you tomorrow, same place. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.